Hi, I'm Christy, one of the hosts of Heartland Homicide, a true crime podcast. My co-host Kaysen and I focus on cases from the heartland of the U.S. You can find us on iTunes, Podbean, and most major podcast platforms. We explore some well-known and some not-so-well-known cases close to us. We are on social media at Heartland Homicide on Facebook and on Twitter at HRTLND Homicide. And while these cases may not be Florida crazy, they are cornfield crazy. Hello and welcome. It's Perhaps It's You. An unofficial Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast. My name's Liz. I'm a cool mystery aunt, an expiring witch. An expiring witch? Aspiring? It kind of sounded like you said you were expiring. I'm expiring also. (laughs) Aren't we all? Yeah. Also, did we mention recently that the world's ending? Because it is. It is. Just a little hint. Who am I here with? Oh, it's Samantha. The other Unsolved Mysteries aunt. Did you ever find out which... Which um, character you are from that show, Sabrina? So far, the Twitter poll has me at Zelda. I'm surprised. Okay. Which is the aloof, Satan-loving witch ant. Based on the brief descriptions (laughs) you gave in our last episode, I haven't watched that show. I agreed that you were a Zelda, but you didn't think so. Yeah. So it's it's been interesting. I don't think the official results are in, but Zelda was winning by a lot. So Okay. Well, we'll say that you are on Zelda from oh, here on out. Thank you. So we are covering Season 3, Episode 9. Yes. Do you have any week? updates? I have a couple. I don't really have any updates, so why don't you go ahead with yours? One is an update I keep forgetting to mention, and then I kick myself the second that we're done recording, which is that we're on Spotify now. Oh, hell yeah. I always forget about that, too. Yes. It was very exciting the second it happened, and then, boy, did we forget. So, you if can that's find us on Spotify. more convenient for your listening pleasure, listen on Spotify. So, we have applied to be on Spotify once before, and I remember that it was, like, a really sketchy-seeming Google Doc you had to submit. Is it... Was it the second no. time around? Was it They have changed their process. At one period of time, when we first started this podcast, you submitted it, and they sort of decided whether or not you were good enough there was there was like some judgment involved surprise surprise we, we were not we were we not gonna make enough. the cut it made me very angry because alex jones was on spotify and we were not yeah uh at this point alex jones is not on spotify but literally everyone else is now you just give them your feed and you're on so it's not special anymore oh. but we are Let's actually pretend on there. that it's special though yeah but if that helps for you know listening to stuff hey on Spotify. We're still not on iHeartRadio, so if you're listening from iHeartRadio, give us a call. Yeah, what's that about? I don't know. I haven't tried to get us on iHeartRadio, so I don't know how easy or difficult it is. But Oh. Is this a matter of sending some feet pics? Because it can be done. If that's what it takes. If that's what it takes. I will do it for the podcast. You can see that my pedicure that has not been touched up since Samantha's bachelorette weekend. <laughs> that was a while ago. <laughs> also, mine have... Liz and I were just talking. We got pedicures shortly before I got married, which was in, like... It must have been August. Sometime in August. And all that's left of my August pedicure, it is it is now December, is just some, like, scraps of blue nail polish on both my my large toes. Yep. That's me, except it's black. Exactly. <laughs> Which is hilarious that neither of us have painted our toenails since then. 
Yep. Love it. It doesn't matter, though. It's winter. No one's... Yeah, I wear socks 100% of the time, so it doesn't <laughs> really matter. matter. Whatever. Um, oh, my other update is a huge thank you to Becky in New Mexico, who foolishly ordered stuff off our Amazon wish list, and I cannot tell you how thankful I am and how powerful I feel. <laughs> Becky sent us some gifts off of our Amazon wish list and also sent the pod dogs some greenies. Yes, their favoritest thing ever. They're so greenies. excited to have received the greenies. They don't know that someone on the internet who loves our podcast sent us They don't us really understand the internet or why they sometimes get kicked out of this room while Samantha's here. But I will send Samantha home with half the greenies for her dogs that don't get quite as much love from the podcast they're very listeners. they're very neglected they're probably sitting on I don't the couch mean, right now i don't mean they're actually neglected i mean they're not here while we're recording so we recently got a new bed because casper didn't come through so we had to actually purchase one I am i'm not bitter about very it very upset about that did we talk about how we wanted mattresses before we even talked about a single mystery <laughs> yes Casper mattresses no one, still aren't sponsoring this no, podcast, but it's fine. No, I'm not mad about it. No one could accuse this podcast down the road of selling out because that's where we started. <laughs> anyway, go the ahead. The point of the story you got a new bed. is we got a memory foam mattress and we close our bedroom door during the day because one of my dogs likes to go in and lick our shag carpet, which is just because she's weird. <laughs> So I mean, I like to do that too, but whatever. I close the door, and I leave for work before Travis, and tra- ever since, they didn't used to really care about being in there, other than she wants to get at the rug, but um, Travis said that every day this last week, one of my dogs, Renly, has been sitting outside of the bedroom door crying because he wants to get in and lay on the king-size memory foam mattress. Aww. And it's just really cute. And it's really like, Renly, some dogs sleep outside. Like, you don't know how good you have it. You're upset about not getting to sleep on the memory foam king-size mattress. Yeah, when And we, some dogs are out in the cold. When we first got Lenny, he was so timid, and he was really like, is it okay if I do this? Is it okay? And then, like, in two weeks, he was like, well, the whole couch is mine. I don't know where you're going to sit. He is not a large dog, and he will try to take up the entire bed or the entire couch. He thinks he owns the goddamn place. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. He's just a little firecracker. And we love them. And now they get some greenies thanks to I Becky. I know. It's so Who's amazing. So, Becky also sent us microphone cables and some unicorn sheet masks, which I'm very excited to try out. Which we're probably going to wear later today. Yeah. So pumped for that. Someone else sent us some tea, but you didn't leave your name. So we'll have to hunt you down. We thank, we thank you. I'm sure you're listening. Yeah. We'll find it on Amazon and we'll thank you we'll next. We'll figure out what your name is. Because I was out of peppermint tea and I needed to live. So you're keeping me alive. We need to nurture our vocal cords because like I said in the last podcast <laughs> they're the money makers oh, yes. <laughs> they're the money makers ah, our life has become so strange if you are a sucker like these people and you want to buy us fabulous gifts you can find our wish list on our website under contact it's perhaps it's you.com mm-hmm. and then you can blow our minds by sending, sending us things something nice we really appreciate all of our the patrons who send us money People who have sent us coffee money. Yeah, George. Thank you, George. You're the best. I'm We're going to go get some coffee later today. Thanks yes, to we you. are. I cannot wait. And yeah, the folks who are sending us stuff off our Amazon wish list. It's so nice. And definitely the reason we keep making this podcast. 100%. Don't fool yourselves. We would have given up by now. 100%. We would have gone, you know what? We could just like go do something else. <laughs> Let's like go see a movie or we something. We could do like anything else. We could do literally anything. And talk about but not and get bogus free. theories about Amelia Earhart. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I wanted to do that. No. Never. Boo. 
Oh, I'm still mad about that. Okay. Should we talk about this episode? Yes. It has been a minute since I've been excited to talk about an Unsolved Mysteries episode. I'm yeah. pumped for this one. I yeah. can't wait. And really, it's most of the episode is kind of sad and depressing, but there is one highlight. Yes. There's one bright Stick spot. Stick with us for the middle, the sweet, sweet middle. We're going to get into something super awesome and it's just you gonna will not regret it warm your whole heart and soul and being and we may here on out just only ever talk about that segment yeah but for every episode are we gonna tell you what it is right now no, no you gotta we, wait you have to wait you have to wait through some sad depressing shit but we'll get there okay i have the first mystery this week and what were they calling it what kind of segment was this this was an unexplained death i think it's like kind of explained but basically as samantha pointed out that just means murders yeah, unexplained they death try, <laughs> just means murder. They try to make it sound like a little bit more mysterious. Also, I ran out of white printer paper and for some reason printed this on like neon glaring orange printer paper. It's real bright. It was not a wise decision. Don't be like me. Okay, this is the case of Chuck or Charles Morgan from Tucson, Arizona, dating back to June 18th, 1977. So we got the story of Chuck here. He was 39. He was doing some sort of boring business for an escrow company he was a, what did they call him a successful escrow agent or something yeah and i was like Bleh. i like fell asleep a little bit i had to wake up and uh, he was also a potential witness in a state land fraud case against a known crime boss womp womp. seems dangerous so on um march 22nd of 1977 he left his home to drive his two daughters to school. He had four kids, but he was dropping two of them off. After dropping them off, he vanished. This mystery, by the way, is fucking weird. Weird as hell. So stay with me as I try to explain it, but it almost like kind of doesn't make sense. It a lot doesn't make sense. And also it's unsolved, so don't expect any closure. Okay, (laughs) spoiler alert. Moving on. So three days later, he shows up at home. He's wrists are zip tied together he's unable to speak didn't he drive his car up to his house too? i don't know somehow with his zip tied wrists that are in front of him but he drove his car yeah i guess it. like i guess basically he drove with one hand i guess with his zip tied wrists stumbles out of his car stumbled into his out house. of his it's car the middle of the night his wife is like oh my god what the hell happened to you in the reenactment you see two of his daughters come to the bedroom door and they're like nightgowns i couldn't think of that word for a second and they're like what happened to daddy and the mom's like go back to bed <laughs> do you don't need to see this he's laying on his back on the ground because he collapses inside yeah he's unable to speak he's almost kind of like gagging mm-hmm. and she's cutting the zip tie thing off of him i'm not clear if she called the police for the three days he was missing or not i don't think she did which that's real weird to me she said that in that moment she wanted to call 911. Yeah. And he told her not to. But Somehow. He couldn't speak. I think he like he, pantomimed or wrote. She asks him. So she's like, oh, so you can't speak? And he nods. And so she gives him a pen and paper. And she says, I'm going to call the police. And he writes down like, no, we'll all die. Okay. That part kind of makes sense. What about the three days where he was just missing? I don't. Oh, those. I've. I, beats me. I have no idea. They if never your husband mentioned. dropped your kids off at school and then was not seen for three days. Don't you think you would have called the police by the time he got back to tell you not to call the police? Maybe he left to start a new life. Yeah. yeah maybe, maybe he had amnesia and was just wandering around. I don't around. think that he did. No, he, didn't. no that, he didn't. But maybe that's what they thought he did. I don't think she called the police, though. <laughs> no. And that's real weird. Okay, so anyway, he conveys that the reason he can't speak 
is that a hallucinogenic drug has been painted on his throat. And if he ingests it, it will drive him insane or kill him. What? Is that what they told him and he believed them? So he didn't speak? I don't know. There's no... Since they don't contact the police, he doesn't get real medical attention. No, he just lays in bed for like a week and she it's like nurses him. Feeding him with an eyedropper. I don't know why that would help in this situation. But also, that's what how they could sh- you get that much food out of an eyedropper? She's like giving him water or soup or some shit from like a little eyedropper because he can't speak because hallucinogenic drugs are painted on his throat. Makes total sense. If yeah, anyone of course. knows what the fuck that means. You have any doctors in the house? Because this is Our weird. email address is perhaps <laughs> it's your podcast at gmail.com. Please explain this to us. What the fuckity fuck fuck fuck? Wouldn't a hallucinogenic drug... Make him hallucinate? Yeah, not... Like it's not, in the name? Not not be able to speak. I'm super confused by this. Well, it might drive him insane. If that he, sounds like shit they said in Dare that was not true. You know how they used to have cops come to schools yes. and then lie to you about drugs? And have you stand up on a stage and sing the Dare song? I actually didn't have this unit in school. Oh, you didn't? We, we did. Pretty much everyone in the U.S. did. Yeah, I sure did. I, I was not around for this moment of time. but um, You lucked out. Which means I don't have one of those shirts to wear while doing drugs, which is what ha- everybody got this shirt that's like for the dare program and now people just wear them to like ironically do drugs Mm -hmm. i don't have one of those a little sad (laughs) but anyway it that sounds like a lie about drugs this doesn't sound true. oh yeah that if you ingest a hallucinogen you'll just go crazy forever or it'll kill you okay he while scribbling notes and being unable to speak he asked his wife ruth to move his car because he did not want quote them to know he had returned home he however refused to say who they were and was she was told not to call the police because they would come to kill him and also their entire family so yeah so she nurses him back to help with an eyedropper uh before his voice returned he began to allude to a secret identity he claimed that he worked as an agent for the federal government and that they had taken his treasury ID. And she's like, what treasury ID? And he just sort of like looks away. <laughs> Great marriage. Yeah. I sort of think she should have stopped feeding him with an eyedropper at this point. Like, Probably. no, you'll explain that or you don't get any more eyedroppers. <laughs> you don't get any more drops of broth. <laughs> yeah. Until you tell me what the fuck is going on that you've apparently put me. And our children in danger. Yes, Exactly. This is what I'm reading from Unsolved Mysteries Wiki, as usual. And this is a sentence. After his kidnapping, Chuck became justifiably paranoid. He began wearing a bulletproof vest. And they show a reenactment of him, like, putting on a bulletproof vest. He would drive his daughters to and from school. He affirms the school that nobody else was allowed to pick him up. However, two months after his initial disappearance, he vanished again. Before, shortly before that, he had told his father that if anything to ha- were to happen to him, there was a letter he had written that would tell them who was responsible. However, that letter was never found. Okay. I mean, maybe give someone the letter. Yeah. Not just say it exists. There's a great forensic files where someone does this. Oh, really? Yeah. They hide a letter basically saying, like, if anyone happened to me, this person's a murderer. And they, like, put it in their fucking china cabinet. Oh. Well, that seems helpful. But may- put it somewhere where someone can find it. Yeah. Um... I just sort of don't believe anything he says. So, was there a letter? I don't know. I don't know. The whole thing is bananas. Anyway, he is murdered out in the desert. Well, he has he's found dead with a bullet hole to the back of his head. 
And they try to say that that's suicide. Yeah. He's wearing a bulletproof vest. <laughs> Usually people who are trying to take their own life... Don't wear bulletproof don't, clothing. Don't wear bulletproof clothing and then shoot themselves. Also, it seems hard to shoot yourself in the back of the head. It sure does. Maybe not literally impossible, but... No, also, I think it was a handgun, so I'm sure you physically but could. Why? But why? Unless you, you... I mean, I guess if you wanted people to think you were murdered, but what motive, What would that accomplish? Yeah. I don't know. It does... His family doesn't believe it was suicide, and I think they're onto something because, yeah, he was shot in the back of the head. It's this whole thing is weird, and you're, it, 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 I have more information for you, but none of it's going to help. So, found in Chuck's dead body's underwear is a two-dollar bill. On that so two-dollar bill, he had written seven Spanish last names that started with the letters A to G in alphabetical order. Also. I don't remember how to say this. What's that book from the Bible? It's just with the E. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. Okay. It took me a second. Ecclesiastes 12 was written with the verses 1 through 8 marked on arrows with the Bill's serial number. This is relevant because someone called his wife. Before this was discovered. Yes. And said, Chuck is all right. That Bible passage, 1 through 8, and hung up. Mm-hmm. They specifically said Ecclesiastes whatever numbers. Yes. Which is wild because that was before this dollar bill was discovered. Yeah. So, so someone who knew he had written that or whatever called. Which is just another piece of evidence. To, like, how could this have been suicide? Yeah. Like, that's just too But it also doesn't really mean, like, the passage of the Bible, you could sort of interpret about being about death or being about danger. It's about, like, it's, yeah, it's, he's in the mountains and... It's a vague Bible it, verse. Yeah. It doesn't really shed any light on it's what It's not happens. very... Hel- they read it on the show. I meant to have it for you. Robert Stack reads it. And I he don't. does a very nice job, but it doesn't really enlighten um, us at no, all. No, it doesn't really help. Um, and he did draw, us uh, also on the $2 bill, a crude map, which showed roads between Tucson and the Mexico border... With a couple towns marked. Didn't he number all of the founding fathers that are pictured on the bill? Yes. One through seven. No one knows what that means. If you're going to leave people clues... Be a little more specific about it. <laughs> this, these are not helpful. Like, these are, like, good things to, like, sit around and ponder by a fire and, like, stroke your beard. But they're not going to actually help anyone solve your murder. What does any of this mean? Like, it's, it seems to me... This is right. This is who murdered me, and then a name. Yeah, that's helpful. If something happens, a to weird me, random Bible. Please verse. investigate this person. Yes, not a crude map, a Bible verse, some numbers, and some Spanish names. Yeah, which I saw a theory on the internet that those names were all police officers that were working for the Tucson Police Department at that time. If that was the case, they would just have picked that bill up, crumpled it up, and put it in the garbage. Yeah, I. We would never have heard about all it of if the, they were their all names, corrupt and their names were on the bill. And were in alphabetical order. Like, they just happened to have names that started A through G. Yeah. What's so weird about this is it seems like something that would happen in Twin Peaks or a mystery novel where stuff is just happening to be mysterious. Like, it's not. Ha- it doesn't feel like it's happening for any other purpose. Just to be, yes. Yet it's really happened. 
Okay, so anyway, two days after his death, an anonymous woman spoke to an officer at the Pima County Sheriff's Department on the telephone. She claimed that she was supposed to meet Chuck shortly before he died. She was going by the name Green Eyes and said that she was the same woman who had called Ruth to give her the Bible passage. Did she say why? She also claimed that she met Chuck at a motel and he showed her a briefcase containing several thousand dollars in cash. I believe Unsolved Mysteries said it was 60 grand. um, And that the money would buy him out of a gang contract that had been put on his life. Because essentially someone had been hired to kill him and he was going to give them more money. That seems like that would make them not kill you. Yeah. Instead of killing you and taking the money so you can have both. Anyway, uh, surprisingly, despite the bizarre evidence, authorities ruled that Morgan committed suicide. His family and a reporter named Don Devineau believe he was murdered. I would concur with that. Some investigators also suspect that his death was not a suicide. So we hear a lot from this guy, Don Devineau, and he claims that he's spoken to police officers that were investigating his death, knew that it was not a suicide, but didn't feel that they could rule that way, and that they had immediately quit the force afterwards, and that some of them had moved out of the country. Weird. What? What is happening? What is any of this? Okay. So then, three weeks after his death, two men claiming to be FBI agents show up at the Morgan home. They told his late wife, Ruth, that they needed to look through the house. They say specifically that they showed their identification very quickly and that she didn't get a good look at it. Because she was legit. Because she was so surprised, she didn't think to ask them for a warrant. Which, do not let people in to search your house without a warrant. If you're living in the United States of America, do not let people in to do that. Please. If if the reenactment was too, they did just kind of like just bulldoze over her, but kind of looked like it. I, she should have called the police or a lawyer or something because that is illegal. Anyway. I realized that she was, like, in mourning and also just fucking surprised because that's so weird. Right. So they totally ransacked the house. She doesn't know what they were looking for. She doesn't know if they took anything. They just basically came in, trashed the place, and left. Which makes me go, maybe they found that letter. But three weeks have already passed. Yeah. It seems like the family would have found the letter if it was there to be found. Yeah, unless he really hid it extremely well which again why write the letter in the first place then yeah if i have a letter like this don't worry samantha i'll be able to find it i'll just like paint it on the side of the wall (laughs) in your own in my yeah in case of my death make sure to investigate you know and then i'll just put my like childhood enemy (laughs) (laughs) i'll just frame them (laughs) okay it just yeah it's, it's so strange okay so after this the reporter don devenu contacted the fbi The FBI claimed that they did not come to the house and the fact they had never heard of Chuck Morgan. According to Devineau, that doesn't make sense because they had heard of him and they had investigated his death. But at this point, we're claiming we don't know anything about it. Okay, this whole thing is bizarre. So there are several rumors surrounding the case, including that Chuck was killed because he was involved in illegal activity or that he was doing secret work from the government. What Unsolved Mysteries sort of suggests is that in being an escrow, perhaps without really his knowledge, he was involved in money laundering for organized crime. Okay. And so they talk a little bit about how in the 70s, organized crime, people from New York had relocated to Arizona because you could buy land in blind trusts and nobody would really know who owned it. And that was great for them to launder money. 
So there was this sort of concentration of organized crime suddenly in Arizona at the time that law enforcement was not really prepared for. And that as an escrow, he could have been hired to help them with what might have at first seemed like above the board legal activity. And then like as he did more work for them, realized like, oh, shit, this is actually illegal. And then, you know, possibly he was murdered to stay quiet about that. That makes as much sense as anything. It does not explain like the clues and shit. It does not explain the hallucinogenic drug painted on his throat. No, it doesn't explain the $2 bill. It doesn't explain quoting the Bible. It doesn't explain why the police have no more information from this green-eyes person, like who the fuck she is and why she's meeting with Chuck at motels. And what? Like, what is (laughs) happening? But that might be why he was murdered. I kind of wonder if... Did you ever see that Matt Damon movie, The Informant? No. I can't really remember the specifics of it. I saw it when it came out. But he's like a whistleblower okay to the government but like as it goes on and on he's like embellishing more and more like at first maybe he was telling the truth but like as he gets like into it he like oh sure starts lying so i kind of wonder if chuck got a little like carried away with with finding out about these illegal things going on and sort of I don't know. Like, maybe he was trying to play the hero, and he realized what he was involved with, and he yeah, tried so to, Yeah, so he like, was like, no, actually, I'm with the Treasury Department, and here's some mysterious clue. I don't know. Like, he got a little carried away with it. Maybe. That's... I, it doesn't really explain it, but that's just one thought that I had. Okay. So... It, also, he might have just straight up been involved in organized crime. Quite possibly. Yeah. It seems like he was lying to his wife about stuff. His wife didn't seem concerned when he vanished for three days, which, again, Unsolved Mystery doesn't point that out, but I find that so suspicious. So that's, you know, another possibility. Wasn't there someone who appeared at the end of the mystery who said that he thought his death was a result of a mistaken hit job okay, that was no. meant for him. What happens is it's sort of like an update on Solve Mysteries does. So I'm assuming this aired as like on a different day than the original segment is that a man is killed that they think people thought was Don Devino. Okay. So the reporter who was investigating this and possibly getting too close a man who worked across the street from him and drove the exact same car is taken out in what looks like a hit. Huh. And the police tell Devino, we believe this was supposed to be you, but they got the wrong guy. Yikes. That murder is unsolved. Oh, okay. Chuck's murder is unsolved. Okay, here is the results. After the case aired, Unsolved Mysteries received several calls relating to Chuck's death. Don Devenu investigated several leads that came as a result of the program. He learned that Chuck was heavily involved in money laundering activities through his Tucson escrow company. I get the question would be whether or not he knew what he was doing was illegal. From 1973 to his death in 1977, he was also involved in large gold and platinum transactions, which is like an easy way to launder money. He apparently received a large amount of money from these activities. Devino discovered that Chuck kept duplicate records of the illicit transactions. Devino now believes that Chuck was killed because he still had these records. Oh, okay. So if he was keeping information on the mob that the mob wouldn't want anyone to have access to, they could have killed him to try to get that, and then maybe that's why they ransacked the house. Okay, possibly. But 
It still doesn't it explain, doesn't explain a, lot of stuff. a lot of the other stuff. So three months after the broadcast, Doug Johnson was found shot in his car outside of a, his Phoenix office. And that's the person that was supposedly mistaken for Devino. A year after Doug's murder, Devino was contacted by a writer from D.C. named Danny Casello. He agreed to share information that was uncovered about Chuck's illegal gold transactions. However, Danny died suspiciously before he could hand off the information. All three cases remain unsolved. Wow. Ruth, Chuck's widow, passed away in 2006. Bummer. I... I, I don't have any theories beyond what I've said. It's so fucking weird. There's a lot of weirdness in that one. I don't know either. Please, people, when you leave clues to your death, be more specific. That's really the takeaway. I I mean, I appreciate that he had a dramatic flair, and he was trying to... You can to, still be dramatic about it and also be precise. Yeah, like, could you, yeah, use a, a feather quill and your own blood, but then, you know, say, Give by names. the way... And killed specifics. me, Samantha Bean. Here is some DNA evidence. And leave Here it. is a map to her house. Watch out, she's got two dogs. Be much more specific. <laughs> Write it in a poem. That's fine, but yeah, use but specific also, details. Yeah, don't just scribble a map and number the founding fathers. And so, what's interesting also is there's like very little. I tried to find out more about this case. There's like almost nothing. Yet three people died. The internet is not interested in this case. You know, sometimes that happens. Whereas, like, there's one article called Strange Evidence Found in 77 Near Man's Body. And it just talked about stuff we already knew. Okay. That's well, literally it. Um, Yeah, rest in peace, Chuck. I really want to know about this hallucinogenic throat thing. Seems not real someone on unsolved.com was theorizing that he just totally fucking made that up after he went on like a three-day bender and cheated on his wife i mean that makes more sense it does because i don't know what he's she clearly believed him if she fed him with an eyedropper for days he he's acting like someone went and got a poison dart frog and like scooped off you know what i mean like what kind of bizarre that's just not something the mob does. Paint your throat with hallucinogenic drugs so you might go insane. No, if they're, if the mob is kidnapping you, you're going to be dead. Yeah. You're not going to return to your house after three days? What happened to him during those three days? He was tortured. Okay, where was he? Why couldn't he tell the police? <sighs> Chuck. Yeah. Who's green eyes? Maybe that was who he was having an affair with. Why is she calling his late, late wife and talking about the Bible? That's that's a power move. That's a weird Mate, flex. That, that might be. Hey, your husband was cheating on you with me. Also, he's dead. By the way, Here's read up Bible on verse. read up on the Bible, you bitch. <laughs> you know, maybe that's it. Yeah, maybe we're onto something. Maybe we've solved this mystery. No, oh, you're welcome, chuck everyone. One up, chuck another one out to pronounce you. And then I bow. And then I bow. We're solving mysteries left and right on this show. Yeah. Oh, I get it. Green Eyes was just a bitch. <laughs> also, his handwriting was terrible. It was not good. That might have been part of the problem, too. Possibly. Maybe that was a, a result scratch. of the hallucinogenic drug. <laughs> Unsteady hand. All right, we got another one. Whatever. And this is, an, this is a, another sad, sad unsolved one, I'm sorry to say. So, we... Oh, after an unnecessary satanic arson update. Oh, God, yeah. We get an update on that weird... 
satanic arson video where that man finds the VHS tape on the side of the yeah. road and then makes his family watch it. And it's not homemade porno. Surprisingly. Surprisingly. Who, who saw that coming? So we get that whole update and then we get this mystery. This is a sad one. Which is another unexplained death. Trigger warning on this, a man. Murder. Yes. Trigger warning for racism. Just the, the usual sucking. Brutality. Yeah. White supremacy. Yep. Okay. Clan members burning shit. Footage of clan members. Get pre- Prepare yourself for that if you're going to actually watch the episode. So we start this segment with footage from 1960s southern United States where brutality against civil rights protesters is on full display. Robert Stack narrates talking about Selma, Birmingham, and Greensboro while we watch police turning fire hoses on black protesters and beating them with batons. Uh, so Too much has changed, but it's... Yeah. Yeah. The world's an upsetting, horrible place. So we hear that in Washington Parish, Louisiana, the community was demanding the integration of the sheriff's department. In response, two black deputies were appointed to the force. Their names were David Creed Rogers, who went by Creed, and O'Neill Moore. Mayvella Moore, O'Neill Moore's wife, describes how exciting he how excited he was and how proud her and her husband both were that he was one of the first black law enforcement officers in Washington, Paris. That's really sweet. This was, like, one of the saddest parts about this whole mystery was her talking about how he, like, pulled up his cruiser to the house and, like, they, like, blared the lights and how excited they were. He, like, called in on the radio and stuff. It was so sweet and kind of makes you want to cry. Okay, a fellow member of the sheriff's department named Doyle is interviewed for the show. Doyle says that a lot of people were against integration of the sheriff's department. Captain Obvious Doyle. Yeah, okay. surprise, surprise. Doyle makes it clear that some people, not all people, he's very specific about that, were against, quote, the blacks taking part in any kind of law enforcement or anything. I wrote that down Doyle well. seems like a complicated character. <laughs> because on, on one hand, later in the story, he it does investigate the, I'm just going to say it, murder of this police officer. Sure. But he also seems like he himself may be a little bit racist, so... Yeah, I mean, I Doyle think... Doyle is a complex... I think he... Person. I mean, I think he is, is racist. But I think he is a, sort of a by-the-books person. Like, right. A crime's a crime. Yeah. You can't just kill police officers. Right. Right. No matter who they are. So, I mean, he's right in that regard. Okay. Uh, Moore's partner, Creed, lost an eye in... Okay. <laughs> Sorry. This one is really sad. It's hard to talk about. I know, and I'm getting a little lost in my notes. Okay, a year after he was appointed to the department, O'Neill Moore was gunned down in what's described as a racially motivated attack. His killer Which one, was Unsolved Mysteries, is telling you that, you know it's true, because I think that's something they really try to shy away from most of the time. They do. But this is so blatant Very. that they're like, yeah, this is a hate crime. Moore's partner, Creed, lost an eye in the attack, but he did survive. He says that he would like to know who did this. He says for the sake, for his sake and the sake of everyone in Washington Parish, we'd like to know who our neighbors are, which is so true because this is a very small community. So it's like, you're a neighbor. This could, who did this could be your neighbor. Oh, I'm, I'm sure you would know this person. Yeah. Right? Everybody would know them. And you're just living with this murderer. Right. Exactly. So that's horrifying. Now we this don't... would be such a brave thing to do. Yeah. Can you imagine? No, I really I can't. I honestly don't know that I would have it in me. Like, they're yeah. so brave. And we'll get into Creed a little bit more later. But after this attack, he stayed on the police force. 
I feel like partially out of spite, and I Which love I respect, that. Yes, for sure. So now we get the story of the incident. So it was the night of June second, nineteen sixty-five. O'Neill and Creed had come to expect harassment after a year on duty. So when a pickup truck began to tailgate them, they were not surprised. As they were driving, they saw a fire on the side of the road. They made a U-turn to go investigate, but they saw that it was just a trash fire. So they continued on their way. <laughs> Which seems like such an in- like insignificant part of the story. It was like, oh. We see trash fires out in yeah, the middle of the country bad. all the time. But anyways, then they turned back around, and the truck that had been tailgating them had pulled over, and when they passed it again, it pulled out behind them and began to follow them again. Creed describes the truck as dark in color with a rebel tag, a.k.a. a Confederate flag, where the license plate should have been. Creed gives a very specific description of this truck. It was dark in color, it had a white grill, and it had this Confederate flag Someone bothered tag. to get this license plate just to tell people they're a bad person Mm -hmm. someone went and spent their money getting this to put on their truck just so they could be like hey everyone i'm terrible in a way it's kind of nice because then it you can you can go like oh weed them out don't care yeah so eventually the truck pulled up beside their police car and two men in the bed of the truck stood up with rifles shooting into the police car at creed and o'neill who swerved off the road hitting a tree this was very premeditated we know that because they had put up like plywood on either side of their bed yeah. so that they could hide behind it. Um, and so For, they, they if, couldn't. If the officers returned fire, they could. Right, or they could yeah. duck. So yeah. a local resident, I wrote the hero of the story, ran to the police car taking Creed's service rifle and standing guard until the police arrived. Yeah. Which was very brave of that man. Yeah. Um, so, Deputy. I, yeah, can't imagine me doing that. Right. <laughs> Like, like, give me this gun. I'm going to stand guard. I know. While these horrible bigots are driving around in their truck just shooting Shooting at people. people. Yeah. So Deputy Deputy Sheriff Doyle arrives to find O'Neill dead and Creed badly injured. Despite being badly wounded, Creed was able to give Doyle a detailed description of the truck. Doyle immediately put out an APB on the truck and a little while later is informed that officers were able to apprehend a truck that matched the description in Tylertown, Mississippi. The truck matched Cree's description to a T, except that they had removed the side rails or like the wood, yeah, the plywood from the truck bed. So I wrote, great. Case closed. Mystery solved. They got their van. No. No. The driver was arrested, but soon released on a $25,000 bond and charges were later dropped due to lack of evidence. Which, what? You have the word of a police officer. Apparently that wasn't good enough. Sure, of course not. So people suspected the KKK, but local the local chapter denied any involvement. Oh, well. Obviously. There's... <laughs> I guess they didn't do it then. They said they didn't... Like, what? Yeah. They've only dedicated their life to hate. Why, why would they be involved in this? That's how they... Can you imagine that being how you want to spend your free time? Like... Wearing those stupid outfits and just Burning stuff and being the worst person. Like, oh, after I I get home from work... I cannot imagine. After I get home from work, after a long day, like, could I put my feet up and spend time with my children or listen to the radio? Yeah. Like, no. I think I'm going to get together with the worst human beings in the world. Wear a ridiculous costume. Yeah. And and just just be awful. Just be the embodiment of everything that's wrong with humanity i can't i can't fathom Hmm. all right sadly there are people like that so tensions in washington paris parish increased but the sheriff refused to give in to the racist pressure and appointed another black deputy to replace o'neill which props to him yeah 
Because there was a lot of outrage in their community that these two... I'm honestly surprised anybody wanted to do it. Yes. Like, I think that's incredibly brave. Yes. To join the force right after that happened. Because you're going to feel like there's a target on you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, Mayvella says that the killers didn't accomplish anything. They were trying to frighten people, but it only gave them more courage. Good. And Deputy um, Doyle continued to investigate. One day, racist thugs pulled up to his home and shot into his house while he was sitting in the living room with his family. Fortunately, no one was hurt in the incident. Um, Doyle says that he doesn't know why they they singled him out, because even if they had gotten him to back away from his investigation, which they didn't, they still wouldn't would have had to deal with the FBI and the state police who were also looking into the case. So I like that he said this in the most matter of fact way, basically, like, there's no point in killing me. Other people will still investigate this. Right, exactly. This is a dumb crime. <laughs> which is very true. And I think he's, yeah, you're right, just like a very matter of fact, like by the book person. Yeah. So, the governor of Louisiana... Guess how square this guy's haircut is, everyone. <laughs> like, you know. Very true. You know. <laughs> the governor of Louisiana declared that there would be a $25,000 reward for anyone who could help them apprehend the killer, which was a ton of money. Like, yeah. It's a lot of money now, but, like, yeah. back then... Yeah, no, that's huge. Despite this, locals would not cooperate with the FBI or local Boo. authorities, and the case was deemed inactive in 1967. Um, I think, I don't know if I wrote this down, but it seemed like the reason that the locals weren't cooperating is because they were afraid of the Klan. Sure. Um, there so. were, I'm sure that Not was... A- everyone in this community was racist, I don't think. It's just that the ones that weren't didn't just couldn't stand up to the clan it's not paranoid to, no, to they're fear going that around re- killing people and retaliation in the yeah. beginning of the segment they talked about people being afraid of getting their having their house firebombed like yeah yeah i can kind of understand sure i'm sure some people did know something were they willing to put their family's life in danger to come forward with that like probably not i mean yeah that's a sad truth it sucks but okay so doyle says that back then the clan yeah i did write down was so strong that people would not open their mouths they wouldn't give police anything for fear of their houses being firebombed or someone in their family being murdered so the case was reopened as a result of two anonymous letters claiming to know who killed o'neill moore uh michael hembach is the new fbi agent on the case and i'm making the bold assertion that his mustache mustache is fake as a hell Oh. Did you think this you was a real mustache? This mustache that I've sketched right here. Why is there so much space between the mustache and his upper lip? Because his I think mustache is way too long. It goes you know how your mustache should stop like approximately like with your lip or maybe go past in like a decorative flourish? His just like keeps going. <laughs> I mean like, that's it's why not, I thought it was fake. It's not, it might be fake. It's not appropriately sized for his face, and I couldn't think of a good name. And it's really just, I just wrote down the way too long. <laughs> because it's way too long. It looks weird. Michael. 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 It's not working. Get it together. So he says that one of the letters was very specific in identifying the individuals who were in the pickup truck. They also knew the getaway route that the truck had taken after the murder. So it could be credible. The FBI has looked into the individuals named in the letter, but they do not have enough information to make any arrests. However, based on this new information, they do believe that the killers were members of the KKK. At this point, it had been 25 years. After recovering from the attack, Creed Rogers refused to be frightened away from his chosen career, and in 1988, he retired as a full captain. It's impressive. Unfortunately, this case is unsolved to this day. 
they've never caught the individuals who did it. We really don't talk anymore about the person they arrested in the truck that matched precisely the description of the vehicle that Creed gave. That could have been the killer, but we've heard nothing else about that person. I would love to see these sort of hate crimes reopened, where people looked the other way at the time because they were racist shitheads. There's no statute of limitations on murder. I don't care if this murderer is 90 years old now. I think they should be dragged through the street in handcuffs and put in jail. Absolutely. There's no reason not to look into it now. They fucked up at the time, but there should be, like some justice yeah there really should and i feel so bad for all of the victims in this case it's a sad story widow creed it's just it's really it's awful and there's not a good resolution to it losing an eye is not a small injury no having your could have very easily died your partner murdered next to you yeah it's awful. awful so yeah but we can be uplifted Oh, by our next segment, oh, which Liz is covering, the best and I'm mystery ever. So excited to talk about this mystery. Let you. me hold on. I'm gonna open a polar water. Okay, in celebration. Uh, this is brought to you by your favorite type of segment, Simed. The segments that make no sense. Wasn't that like bogus fortune teller with the gold leaf a Simed? Yes. <laughs> That so guy weird. that the sh- twins were Simon. Yes, the guy who shot himself hunting and was in a coma for a long time—that was Simon. <laughs> Possibly the person who had a near-death near experience was Simon too. So weird. But this one, Robert Stack is holding a dog, an adorable golden retriever puppy, and he tells you that he has a unique and heartwarming mystery for you. And he does. Tell me more, Robert Stack. And we all need it at this point because <laughs> really fucking do. This episode has been a downer so far. And also, this year's been a downer, mm-hmm. and life is kind of a downer. So if Robert Stack is here with a puppy. He's outside in a park, and there's, like, more dogs in the background. It's the best. here to tell you, oh, he brought you a puppy just for you. It's the best. I posted a picture of this in our Facebook group. This mystery also starts where? In Minneapolis. So you know it's really the best mystery. And making it even better. Everything about this is great. It's so great. Okay, this is the story of Victoria Doroshenko. And sadly, Victoria was involved in a terrible automobile accident where she was hit by a drunk driver on December 4th, 1984, when she was only 19. Her injuries were so severe that that meant she had to leave school, she had to quit her job. Basically, like, her whole life is on hold because she's having frequent seizures from the head injuries. So she moves to Tacoma, Washington, which... We can't say it's a mistake because things get better after that. But anyway, it's not in <laughs> Minneapolis anymore. So she's in the hospital in August 1986. And then she has another seizure while she's already in the, the hospital. And she's diagnosed as having epilepsy. She's having up to 24 seizures a day. Her lungs keep filling with fluid. The doctors are basically telling her she's a goner. Because the more seizures that she had, the more she was hitting her head, the more seizures she was having. It was this vicious cycle. And it was causing all these other health complications. And the doctors could not really get a handle on it. And this also meant that she was just depressed. Her life didn't really seem like worth living because she wasn't able to do anything because she's just trying to manage the seizures. Fortunately, in 87, Victoria hears about a program at a correctional facility where inmates are trained dogs to be service animals. So 
in the best reenactment of all time, <laughs> she goes to the prison. That's so sweet. That's full of dogs. Yes. To find a dog. So they had, um, and they show you that they have dogs that have learned to open and close doors, pick up telephones, pull wheelchairs, and fetch items such as clothing and hairbrushes. It's so adorable. Yeah. So she goes to the prison, and they have, like, these two dogs there to meet with her, and one has already been chosen for her. And I think they were both retrievers. And um, while she's there, she has a seizure. A and, bad one. Yeah. And the, the dog that was chosen for her was like, whatever. Doesn't care. Doesn't care. It's a bad dog. <laughs> but this other dog that happened to be there went over and, like, laid on top of her to comfort her and was there until she woke up. And they hadn't even trained it to do that. And not only did it go to her, but it defied its trainer's commands. Its trainer was telling it to stay. Yeah. And he defied the trainer and went over and laid next to her. It was the, the sweetest reenactment oh. I've ever seen. So this dog's name was Harley. So Victoria is like this is the dog she like wakes up and this dog is like looking right in her eyes and comforting and she's like well this is my dog now so she takes harley as her service animal that decreases her anxiety which causes her seizures to go down as the amount of seizures go down she has less injuries she has less seizures so she's able to resume classes at college so one day they're like walking across the quad and Harley starts acting very poorly, which was strange for him because he was a good dog. Yeah, he was getting in front of her and barking at her. And so she was like, okay. So she goes into a classroom and she asks us if she can sit down. And she's just like trying to calm down Harley. Well, five minutes later, she had a major seizure. That's when she realized that Harley had the ability to predict seizures. And alert her to them, which he had not been trained specifically to do. Yeah. So at this point, she realizes that Harley is able to predict when she's having a seizure about 15 to 45 minutes beforehand and can give her notice to go to a safe place. And after that, he never failed to notify her of a seizure. And it made her life infinitely better. And she could actually, like, go about her daily life and tasks and, like, leave the house and yeah, be independent. Yeah, you get a sweet slideshow of all these pictures of her and Harley going on dates and going to fun things and going... Oh, I was just... I loved every second. But... Sadly, in June 1990, Harley became ill and died one month later. I know. That's kind of the sad part, is that he dies at the end. But she was so thankful to Harley. He changed her life. I'm sure she went on to get additional service animals. Like, it's the sweetest fucking story. It is really, really amazing. Robert Stack tells you that at least 15 other dogs have been reported to predict seizures, with six of them coming from the same facility. Um, I looked into it a little bit. There's, after this segment, it became more and more common for people with epilepsy to have service dogs. It's controversial whether people think the dogs can actually predict seizures. It, it seems like they definitely help to reduce anxiety and can perform other tasks that are helpful. There's no scientific evidence that they can actually predict seizures. Even if you were like in the hospital, hooked up to machines, like doctors couldn't predict when you were going to have a seizure. But there's lots of anecdotal evidence of people with epilepsy that have service animals that say their service animals can predict seizures. I totally believe that they do. I bet it's just something we don't know how to monitor. Understand. And the dogs can smell cancer. Like they've trained yeah. dogs to be able to smell like that is insane. 
So they have a sense of smell and a sense and other senses that we can't even, I don't think, well fathom. So it wouldn't surprise me if your body chemistry starts to change leading up to a seizure and your dog could smell that. And it seems to be only dogs that you already have a relationship with. Like Harley couldn't do that instantly, but after being her Victoria's service animal for a little while, he could tell this change in her and was able to alert her and apparently did it every single time. Yeah, I totally believe it. I don't see how... That can't be a coincidence every single time. I don't think so. And it's not like she's the only person in the world who's experienced this. Right. If people are interested in the science behind it, um, National Geographic has a good article called Seizure Alert Dogs Save Humans with Early Warnings. And they sort of talk about like whether or not that's something you could prove or whatever. Right. I'm not going to read that whole thing to you. You get the idea. But if you're interested in that, that is out there. Now inspired by this segment. The hero dog segment. Samantha and I are going to tell you about some more hero dogs. We just thought that this segment was not long enough. There's so much sadness <laughs> in this episode that we're going to extend it yeah by each of us more hero dogs each more hero dogs each of us pick two hero dogs and we're gonna tell you the story do you want to do the first one yes i'm telling the story of hook from sacramento who was nominated for a humane association hero award and the reason so hook here here's a little picture is he the top one yeah It's half Chihuahua, half Terrier. And I picked him because I feel like Chihuahuas sometimes get a bad bad rap. Oh, totally. And so this is a hero Chihuahua who was a service animal who alerted his owner was crossing the street and a train was coming that they couldn't hear. And Hook got them off the tracks right before the train came. Otherwise, they would have been hit by a train. Oh, my God. Good boy, Hook. Good boy, Hook. Oh, my goodness. That's so sweet. So cute. Yes. 12-pound, 10-year-old hearing dog who has saved the life of his owner in at least two separate cases because they... And the, 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 the one they were nominated for award was because they couldn't hear the train. Aww. Thanks, Hawk. Oh, my God. Okay, so I picked Sergeant Stubby. <laughs> of course Which, you did. did you, have you seen a picture of Sergeant Stubby? No. I'm going to show you one right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> Look at him wear his little vest with all his medals. <laughs> okay, so you may... What would Lenny get a medal in? <laughs> Stealing cookies. Yeah. Oh my god. Have we told that story He's on a here? Champion. I don't know. It happened about a year ago. About a year ago, we had like a holiday party. Samantha made all these delicious, wonderful cookies, and we could not possibly eat all of them because there were so many. And they were so good, and they were on this platter on my like buffet type thing. So Mac and I leave to drive someone home. We come back. Lenny is on the floor with a gigantic gut, moaning. <laughs> The plate is just on the floor. The ginger cookies are untouched. All the other cookies have been eaten because he managed to like jump up and grab the runner and then pull the runner to get to the tray and then fucking eat all the cookies. And then he was sick for like three days. So yeah, that is what <laughs> this he This buffet table is very tall. I don't think Mac and Liz were being irresponsible about leaving the cookies there because no. you would never think Lenny could get anything off this. He's very we small We also dog. like pushed it away from the edge. But, but he managed. So he deserves a medal in stealing oh cookies. Oh, my God. He did a great job. Okay, Sergeant Stubby's yes. story is Talk the cutest Sergeant thing. Sergeant Stubby. So you may recognize the name Sergeant Stubby <laughs> because of the 
animated movie that came out about him what? this year. There's a movie, and I might watch the movie because it's super cute. Why not? Okay. So Sergeant Stubby is the official mascot of the 102nd Infantry Regiment and was assigned to the 26th Division in World War One. He served for 18 months and participated in 17 battles on the Western Front. He saved his regiment from surprise mustard gas attacks, found wow. and confronted and comforted the wounded, and once caught a German soldier by the seat of his pants, holding him there until American soldiers found him. So, <laughs> sure, of course. Stubby has been called the most decorated war dog of World War One, and he is the only dog to be nominated for rank and then promoted to sergeant through combat. Wow. <laughs> a claim having no official documentary evidence, but recognized in connection with an exhibit at the Smithsonian Institute. So he's also the subject of a 2018 animated film. <laughs> Stubby was described as a dog of uncertain breed. He was either a bull terrier or a Boston terrier. He was found wandering the grounds of Yale University campus in New Haven, Connecticut on, in July of 1917, while members of the 102nd Infantry were training. The dog hung around as the men drilled, and one soldier, Corporal Robert Conroy, developed a fondness for him. When it came time for the outfit to ship out, Conroy hid Stubby on board the troop ship. As they were getting off the ship in France, he hid Stubby under his overcoat without detection. Upon discovery by Conroy's commanding officer, Stubby saluted him as he had been trained to do in camp, and the commanding what? officer allowed the dog to stay on board. Aye, aye, sir. <laughs> Can you, so his commanding officer caught his smuggle dog and little Stubby like stood on two legs and saluted him. I mean, that is the best way to get away with a smuggle dog. That's smart. <laughs> so cute. So Stubby served with the 102nd Infantry Regiment in the trenches in France for eight months and participated in four offensives. This guy just full on brought his dog to war. Yeah, and 17 battles. He entered combat on February 5th, 1918. Um... And was under constant fire day and night for over a month. In April 1918, during a raid to take some place, Stubby was <laughs> wounded in the foreleg by retreating Germans Aww. throwing hand grenades. Stubby! He was sent to the rear for convalescence, and he had, as he had done on the front, was able to improve morale. When he recovered from his wounds, he returned to the trenches. He ultimately had two wound stripes. So I think that's an honor. In his first year of battle, Stubby was injured by mustard gas. After he recovered, he returned with specific with a specially designed gas mask to protect him. Also, he Who learned who designed that mask. <laughs> also, he learned to warn his unit of poison gas attacks. He located wounded soldiers in no man's land, and since he could hear of the whine of incoming artillery shells before humans could, he became very adept at letting his unit know when to duck for cover. All the units should have had dogs. This sounds very helpful. <laughs> he was solely responsible for capturing a German spy. Leading the commander <laughs> of the 102nd Why is this dog the most heroic thing ever? <laughs> this, him capturing the spy led the commander, I'm assuming it's the same commander who found him, of the 102nd Infantry to nominate Stubby for the rank of sergeant. So that's why they call him Sergeant Stubby, because he was really a sergeant. That's amazing. So, um... I'm going to start calling Lenny. <laughs> Lieutenant Lenny. So, um, the women in the area of France where the man men were stationed uh, made Stubby a little coat in which he pinned <laughs> his many medals to. He also helped free a French town from the Germans. He was later... What? <laughs> 
He was later injured in the chest and leg by a grenade. At the end of the war, Robert Conroy smuggled Stubby home. Stubby became a celebrity and marched in and normally led many parades across the country. He met Presidents Woodrow Wilson, Calvin Coolidge, and Warren G. Harding. In 1921, General John... Pershing presented a gold medal from the Humane Education Society to Stubby, which he was the subject of a famous photograph. Starting in 1921, he attended Georgetown University Law Center with Conroy and became Georgetown's uh, team mascot. He would be given... I thought they were going to be like, he became the first dog lawyer. (laughs) Maybe he did. Maybe he had an honorary degree. I don't know. (laughs) He would be given the football game at halftime and would nudge the ball around the field to the amusement of the fans. This dog led such a full life. Stubby received a half-page obituary in the New York Times following his death in 1926. (laughs) Much longer than the obituaries of many notable people of the time, or I think ever a half-page. Yeah. During the cere- a ceremony held on Armistice Day in 2006, a brick was placed on the Walk of Honor at the Liberty Memorial in Kansas City to commemorate Sergeant Stubby. Stubby was the subject of at least four books. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then the descendants of Robert Conroy dedicated a life-size bronze statue to Stubby named Stubby Salutes in the <laughs> Connecticut Trees of Honor Memorial at the Veterans Memorial Park in Middletown, Connecticut, uh, which is Samantha, where... Samantha, guess where we're going. <laughs> the, the statue pays tribute to fallen Connecticut veterans. Both Stubby and Robert Conroy were from Connecticut. This is such a good idea. Okay, so in the past few years in the United States, we have been rightfully, gladly... Taking tear- down Confederate monuments. Yes. Put up monuments to hero dogs. Yes. In their place. No yes. one could argue with that. What is less controversial than statues of hero dogs? I can't I, think of it as a single thing. I mean, I definitely want the the statues of Confederate jackasses taken down. Oh, for sure. But I do like public art, and I actually think having a statue somewhere is like a good thing for tourism. Like, we were going to go see that satanic monument. Or the, the Mothman statue. Yeah, like, I think that's just something good to have in your town. Hero dogs. Hero dogs. I fully support it. I want to see this statue of <laughs> Lieutenant Stubby. Sergeant Stubby. Oh my goodness. Just respect. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I won't salute the flag, but I will salute that statue. <laughs> R.I.P. Stubby. It sounds like you lived a fuller life than most humans. Yeah, definitely than me. My so goodness. I might want... If you've seen that movie, tell us about it in our Facebook group. I have a much sto- shorter story about Hero Dog Luca... Who I picked this one out. So Luca was a a canine for the Dallas Fort Worth Police Department. But what is notable about him is the, so he was known as this like amazing search and rescue dog that could always find people. But you know he got old. He retired. Sure. Then this man goes missing and they can't find him. They bring Luca out of retirement <laughs> like a sniper in a Marky Mark movie where they're like, no, we need him. He's we the best. Luca. We need Luca. No one is gonna find him. <laughs> And then they, like, go to find this dog, and the dog's like, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> and they're like, Luca, we need you. We're lost without you. I'm like, fine. <laughs> Luca's grizzled. And one more search and He puts and down his coffee cup. Yeah, he's like, one more. He's, like, out there chopping wood is what I feel like they're always doing in those movies. <laughs> like, fine. One more. You get the shot of just the axe left yeah. behind as Luca's walking. <laughs> so Luca's like, I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this to save this man's life. <laughs> Whatever it takes, Luca. We just need you back out there. Well, he did find that man. He was trapped in a mudslide up to his waist. Wow. And if it had taken one more hour, he would have died. 
Wow. So thank Good you, Luca, Luca. And thank you for being willing to come out of retirement <laughs> to find this missing man. That is incredible. And the this is from NBC5 in Dallas-Fort Worth. And they wrote this like memorial to Luca after Luca passed away. And Aww. I just thought it was really sweet. So sweet. Aww. Where this, I think, is from his like trainer where he says i once heard that the best thing about having a dog is unconditional love they exhibit alongside the everlasting dog smile and puppy dog eyes which radiate their personality however i've also heard the worst thing about having a dog is the final goodbye there is no easy way to say goodbye and realizing the time is intimate is even worse luca was sadly diagnosed with degenerative melopathy a few years back but despite the diagnosis being known to have a grim ending he never let it stop him this is a dog everyone (laughs) they never let it stop him for living a happy full life of helping others luca's life was less than ordinary and he did incredible things thanks to the incredible people being a part of his life and believing in him To, I love dogs. <laughs> to all of you, my most heartfelt and sincere thanks. I can't find the words to express my gratitude enough, and I am forever humbled by all the love and support you gave Luca. Despite this being the end, please know that Luca wasn't in any pain and didn't suffer. It was very sudden up till his last breath. His personality defined him. <laughs> There's strong, definitive puppy dog eyes and that class smile of his. And that was by Officer Cole Brock. Amazing. I love dogs. Okay. Our podcast is about dogs now, you guys. Sorry. All right. My my next story is, because we each picked two, is about Salty. Because this podcast is literally just about dogs now. So I picked Salty and Roselle, who were two guide dogs. Wait, when Samantha told, we were like claiming what dogs we were going to talk about on Messenger. And (laughs) Samantha was like, I'm going to do Salty and Roselle. I was like, how many are we doing? You're doing three? And she was like, no, no, they go together. They go together. It's two stories, three dogs. <laughs> All right. Salty. It's like, kind of cheating, but okay. Salty and Roselle were two guide dogs who were with their owners in the World Trade Center during the September 11th attacks in New York City. They were they each successfully guided their owners out of the building, burning towers before they collapsed, feats that won both dogs numerous awards. So Salty as was trained as a guide dog in early 1988 by Guiding Eyes for the Blind in New York Heights, New York. Part of his training included taking trips on the New York City subway and getting used to traffic in the Bronx. Omar Rivera was Salty's handler and guardian. When the attacks occurred on September 11th, Salty and Omar found themselves on the 71st floor. Riviera was working at the headquarters for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey in Tower 1 of the World Trade Center. After refusing to leave Riviera's side, Salty helped lead Omar to safety. About halfway down, a co-worker trying to help tried to take Salty's lead, but the dog refused to leave his handler. Rizal, um was born in San Rafael, California um, at the Guide Dogs for the Blind. Her handler and guardian was Michael Hinkson. Roselle was asleep under Hinkson's death- desk on the 78th floor of Tower 1 of the World Trade Center when the attack commenced. She was awakened by the plane impacting 15 floors above them. Roselle calmly helped Hinkson to stairwell B despite the smoke, confusion, and noise. She led her owner and 30 other people down 1,463 wow. steps out of the tower. After descending over half the distance, they passed the firemen who were heading up, Roselle stopped to greet the firemen. 
That's amazing. <laughs> always have a second to pet the dog. The, um, the descent took over an hour. Just after they exited the tower, Tower 2 collapsed, sending debris flying. Hingson later wow. said, while everyone ran in panic, Roselle remained totally focused on her job, while debris fell around us and even hit us. Roselle stayed calm. Once clear, Roselle led her owner to the safety of a subway station where they helped a woman who was blinded by falling debris. Ugh. Once they arrived home, Roselle immediately began playing with her retired guide dog predecessor, Lenny, as if nothing important had happened. In 2007, Roselle was retired due to a medical condition, but she continued to live with Michael, who received a new guide dog. Salty and Roselle were awarded the joint um, Dickin medal by the People's Dispensary for Sick Animals. They couldn't make two medals for two dogs. (laughs) On March 5th, 2002, it was only the second time that a joint medal had been awarded. The first time to Punch and Judy, a pair of boxers. Um, I don't know what Punch and Judy did, but something heroic. Yeah, something great. Salty and Roselle's medal citation reads, for remaining loyally at the side of their blind owners, courageously leading them down more than 70 floors of the World Trade Center and to a place of safety following the terrorist attack on New York on September 11th. It was the not the only Dickin medal to be awarded for actions related to the attacks. Um, German Shepherd Apollo received the medal on behalf of all of the work done by the, all of the search and rescue dogs following the attacks. The Dickin medal is often referred to as the animal metaphorical equivalent of the Victoria Cross. In addition to the Dickin medal, Salty and Roselle were also each res- recognized by the British Guide Dogs for the Blind Association. Salty and Riviera were awarded the Partners in Courage Award by the Guiding Eyes for the Blind Association. And then Roselle was posthumously named the first American Hero Dog of the Year in 2011 by the American Humane Society. So I also, don't, get, don't be mad, but I have an honorary mention okay. Hero Dog. <laughs> you do i'm not even a little tiny bit surprised so in my search for hero dogs to cover for this episode (laughs) i discovered one of the first known hero dogs in history oh this dog did exist and was a hero but much of the story may be fictionalized the reason i wanted to mention them though is because their name was mustache (laughs) (laughs) well yeah mustache was a french poodle who is reputed to have played a part in the french revolution oh my god this is my new favorite (laughs) Thing. His story is recounted in many publications. Viva la revolution! But maybe partially fictionalized. He Dogs followed- out there sharpening the guillotine. <laughs> he followed the regiment through the Italian campaign of the Revolutionary Wars and is said to have alerted the regiment to a surprise night attack by Austrian forces. What's that mustache? <laughs> a surprise night attack? Mustache was apparently responsible for the discovery of an Austrian spy and the recovery of the regiment's standard from the Austrians. As a result of wounds taken um, during a battle, Mustache had a leg amputated and was reportedly awarded with a medal um, by one of the... I'm not sure who exactly, but he was awarded a medal. Okay. So I'm not sure what parts of Mustache's story are real and what are fictional, Uh, but... They are all real. Mustache did all of those things and more. I think Mustache is the new uh, mascot of perhaps it's you. Yeah. Move aside, Robert Robert Stacky. Robert Stacky. I want this revolutionary (laughs) dog named Mustache. (laughs) So... Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed researching hero dogs for this episode. Yeah, it was pretty great. So I hope our listeners did too. Well... You know what? Doesn't matter if they did or not. That's true. We have one last mystery that no one cares about. Yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> we have to talk about a bank Let robbery. Let me take a swig of polar water. We have to talk about a, a wanted, which 
I did draw the mustache of this guy that was wanted, but I wasn't sure if he counts as a dirtbag or not. I don't so. know. It wasn't a stellar. It was kind of a standard No, I feel like too. the way too long wins, even yeah. if it's fake. So my first note on this case is, why don't we call people bandits anymore? It's a really good question, and I it's, do not have an answer for you. This guy was just a run-of-the-mill bank robber, but they referred to him as the cowboy bandit. Yeah, so. he did wear, like, an ugly jacket. Yeah, and, like, a cowboy hat at one point. Okay, so, since 1987, a mustached figure in cowboy <laughs> boots has robbed over nine banks, getting away with more than $400,000. Yeah, good for him. Six of the robberies have taken place in the Pacific Northwest, while at least three have taken place in the Southwest. Uh-huh. On September 19th, 1987, the robber entered a bank in Spokane, Washington. No one the- is listening to this. They're still thinking about the dog. <laughs> I'm sorry, we have to cover it. We committed. All right, and immediately pulled out a gun. Mustache, mustache, mustache. <laughs> he demanded money from the tellers and appeared calm and well-prepared. He showed them that he had a police scanner, which would let him know if one of the tellers alerted the police. He ordered everyone into the vault and stole more than $100,000. The robbery lasted less than five minutes. He did not leave behind any fingerprints and avoided being caught on camera. I don't understand... They said that he wasn't caught on camera because he was so fast. Is but that like, how cameras work? I don't think so. Don't you just run the is video there someone, all Is there someone in this bank whose job is to take pictures of bank robbers? Don't like, they oh, have better turn that on? I, like, that made no sense to me either. I didn't understand. I do realize that like videotapes used to be like expensive. The equipment was expensive. But is that really how banks were running? Because why weren't they robbed they all the time? They only took one picture every six minutes. <laughs> and it took him five minutes to rob the I was bank. Like, I, don't, I don't know. Then I would like to go back in time and rob this bank, please. I guess, yeah. So on August 30th, 1988, the robber stole $14,000 from another Spokane bank. However, the die pack had been placed in the bag, tiss, which tiss, went tiss. off shortly after he left. A wit- that reenactment's a little funny. It is a little funny. A witness observed him enter a vehicle and escape. After another robbery in November 1988, the bank employees were able to help make composites of the robber. However, authorities still hope to get a photograph because apparently he's still being too fast. Um, on June 1989, he attempted to rob Spokane's Horizon Federal Credit Union. However, the bank tellers stood up to him and his threats. After taking money from the vault, the robber and the tellers emptied their drawers. One of the tellers pulled money from a build trap, which activated dun, the silent dun, alarm. Dun. This trap also activated the bank's surveillance camera. Which okay, why so I guess just on, though? For the first time, the robber was captured on film. With the help of the surveillance photographs, investigators were able to link the robber to at least three bank robberies in Tucson, Arizona. No However, he remains unidentified oh, and at large. At the time, he appeared to be between 35 and 45, was between really? six feet and 6'2". I think 35 was real generous. (laughs) It is believed that he lives somewhere in the southwestern United States and commutes to banks in the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) Commutes. That's a funny word when you're talking about crimes. In describing him, Robert Stack says that he seems tanned and healthy. Sometimes Robert Stack's got some (laughs) real weird word choice. And I realize he didn't write that. Someone wrote that down and he read it, but it's... It's weird. (laughs) You You know who's fit and lean this mustached bank robber the bank the cowboy bandit had a oh, the, bring the figure me that. of a movie star in the face <laughs> of an angelic tomboy bring me that 14 grand <laughs> cowboy bandit i'll uh, show you a bill trap <laughs> i don't even know what that means but if you say it, <laughs> if you say it in the right voice it'll sound dirty i'll 
You should be a phone sex operator. Is that even a job anymore? I'm sure it is. I'll do it. His most recent... <laughs> There's going to be a lot of giggling. I hope people are into that. Different strokes for different folks. That's the name of the line. Yeah. <laughs> His most recent heist occurred in April 1990. No one cares. He... <laughs> no, like... Talking about hero dogs, who wants to talk about a stupid, boring, regular old bank robber? They never caught this guy, so whatever. Like he got away We're with done. it. Everybody got their money back. Ho hum. It's a yeah, whatever. Victimless crime. <laughs> More about hero dogs. No, hero we actually dogs. don't have anything. Hero else. dogs. Oh, oh hero yeah. Dogs, but viva la mustache. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to rate this episode before oh, we just right. before we just I'm, giggle in a pile for like an hour. So I we this is probably not true, but I I. I like to picture Mustache the dog as being like those cats that are famous on Instagram for having mustaches. Like there's one named Hamilton, what? I'm pretty sure. I'm unaware of look this up phenomenon. Hamilton the hipster cat. I'm pretty sure he has a mustache. <laughs> I don't actually want to look Not that a real, up. It's like a there's like a black and white cat and like yeah. one of those black spots that look like a mustache under under oh, their nose. That's, that's how I'm picturing cute. Mustache the dog. It's a yeah. black and white poodle. I was literally pu- picturing like a, a black sort of small Lenny dog but then like on top of it has an outrageous mustache like <laughs> Kenneth Branagh and that what is that movie called Murder in the Orient Express like I'm picturing a dog just wearing like a big <laughs> giant fake mustache and being like follow me to freedom <laughs> holding the flag yeah <laughs> and then everybody's like viva la mustache <laughs> Charging into battle. It's so beautiful. Oh, it really If only is. you could see my mind. Yeah. Let's rate this episode. Okay. Uh, mysterious. It's actually pretty mysterious. It is mysterious. We have several unsolved crimes. The first one is mysterious as hell. I don't even, barely even know what's going on. I could barely talk about it because it's so weird. Even I, this last one was unsolved. Yeah. So, mysterious, thumbs way up. Thumbs up. Reenactments? Fine. Well, the dog ones are... Oh, actually, you know what? Yeah, because of the dogs, the other reenactments were just pretty average. But you get a scene of going to a prison full of dogs. So that this ends up getting like 12 thumbs up. Pretty much. Uh, Fashion. Uh, Fine. There was some excellent blue eyeshadow in my last one. Oh, that's true. One of the bank tellers. Holy moly. I think that was the one that pulled the bill trap. Today, she would be... A beauty guru on, Insta- on YouTube and Instagram. She would tell you how to apply eyeshadow from five different palettes exactly. to create the perfect seasonal eye look. And I would watch it for 20 minutes and then never never do that ever. Because that's how I like, spend my time. So I don't know if that gives this episode a thumbs up, but... Sure. Yes. Why not? Thumbs up. Sure. I'm in a good mood. Robert Stack... Uh, yeah. Uh, Robert Stack holding a dog is his best accessory yet. Exactly. He's also wearing sort of like an army jacket at one point. Yeah. You get some casual stack looks. Mostly, he's fucking holding a dog. Like, holding a dog. This big golden retriever puppy that's kind of like smooshed. It's just like, blah. Oh, it's the cutest thing ever. And then at the end of that segment, he's there kneels down next to an adult a dif- dog. A different dog, yeah. He's like, did that dog grow up? Yes. <laughs> While you were watching the segment, man, time flies. So, uh, 12 out of... 12 thumbs for that. Yep. And I'll get our rating system right this time. We can Whatever. get from a zero to five Robert Stacks. I mean... The dog segment gets five out of five Robert Stacks, for I sure. I think the dog segment pulls it up to a four. 
I think so. I'm like at a four with this one. The first one is so weird. It's kind of worth watching so you can just go, huh? Yeah, it's hard to follow and weird. Uh, The second one is historically important but sad. Then you get dogs and then you get a boring bank mystery. So, yeah, I would say a four. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on a four. Yeah. Right? Right, mustache? (laughs) Wherever you are? The spirit Uh, of mustache? heaven, that's where mustache is. Of course. Okay. Are we going to do recommendations now? Or Or is our recommendation get a dog? I mean, that's my recommendation always. <laughs> you know what you need? A dog. A dog. You know what? I need more dogs. Okay. Last year, around this time, I talked to everyone about the Pop Witch Planner. Yeah. Which I used this year. Not to its full potential, but it is really beautiful and wonderful and handmade. Guess what is also totally sold out? Oh, no. That planner for this year. So, too bad if you wanted it. I didn't get it either. Good for them, though. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. But bad for me <laughs> how am i supposed to plan my life so instead i got the many moons lunar planner yes i already smushed the beautiful hologram cover which is just a silver like hologram and then a white circle for the moon and then did i immediately bend it yes i sure <laughs> did and then i was pissed but um this book is made by the same person from modern women who makes these many moons like workbooks about witchcraft but it is a planner and it sort of is rotating around the lunar cycle but it gives you tarot layouts it gives you like occasionally it has articles people have written about like moon magic-y things it's pretty interesting this was a pre-order situation so if you go to visualmagic.info you can get a list of stores that carry it but you can't just order it through that website anymore oh okay which is a little frustrating um i like it i think that it's cool my one complaint is that weeks aren't always laid out the same like i'll show samantha right now like okay this week see it's like two pages but then this week is all one page and that doesn't give you a lot of space yeah so that's a little bit weird it does have like interesting stuff in it but i don't i don't know about that so maybe it's not so great as like your only planner but i don't really have that much i need to write down sure mostly when i'm recording podcasts and such so it'll work for me i think that it's kind of interesting um when looking up how to tell you how to order this i also found out that the person who made this has a podcast so I listened cool. to an episode of that. It's called Strange Magic. I think it's only been around for a year. There's like 10 episodes or so. And it's about different witchy things. So it's about the person who designed this, who name is Sarah. I don't want to try to pronounce her last name. And then also a woman who goes by the Oracle of Los Angeles. And so each episode, they cover a different witchy topic. So I only listened to one, but it seems like very informative and kind of cool it's no fat feminist witch that's always going to be my my number one i love that podcast so much but if you're looking for sort of different in-depth discussions of various witchy magical things that'd be something to check out and that's called strange magic cool and if you were interested in trying to track down a copy of this planner that was visualmagic.info, and it has local stores that carry it. And I believe the future in Minneapolis is one of those stores, but it has it, like, broken up by state, you know? Sure. Okay. Good recommendation. So I wanted to come up with a, dog re- a dog-related recommendation of course. for this episode. So I am recommending two different places where you can get fun dog collars. Oh. The first one is one of my favorite places to order a dog collar from, and it is called Collar Mania. And it's, I'm pretty sure, just one woman. I love who the name. Has this entire 
business where she makes custom dog collars. I recommend it because one, her collars are really well made. And two, you can get a collar in any pattern. And I mean any pattern. On her website alone, she has hundreds, maybe even thousands at this point of different wow. fabrics that you can choose from. There's alien ones. I found a few alien themed ones. Hello, There's I'm listening. There's like almost every popular movie. So if your dog is named after a Harry Potter character, you can get him a Harry Potter oh, um, yeah. collar. I have a dog who's named after a Game of Thrones character. There's Game of Thrones patterns. There's just fun, cute patterns. There's ones with uh, like sassy sayings. You can also get like really soft collars. She'll put a padding in your your dog's collar if they have like sensitive skin or something. Aww. You can get different widths if your dog looks good in a really thick collar or kind of a thinner one. Should we go into the dog collar business? I think it might be kind of lucrative. So uh, maybe it's something you have to be good uh, at sewing, which you are, but I'm not. I'm not. Good, but I do own a sewing machine and can sew a straight line, so I'm listening. So you can customize everything about your collar, what kind of buckle you want, how thick you want it, how thin you want it. You can get them embroidered with your dog's name or phone number or whatever you want. The pattern, obviously. She has different types of fabric. She has ones that are laminated, so if your dog likes to swim a lot or something, it'll oh, be yeah. waterproof. I, you can find her on Facebook co- under Collar Mania. She posts pictures of all of the collars she sends out, so you can get inspired by what, by what other people are choosing. Yeah, yeah. They're pretty inexpensive as far as custom collars go. They're competitively priced. It's not going to be like a $3 collar you buy from PetSmart sure, or something, right. but you're getting it customized, so it might be 20 bucks. Um, you can get it you know, custom measured to your dog. I will say the downside, and then her website, I think, is collarmania.com, where you can go to place your order. I've ordered several things from her over the years. The only downside is she has a really long turnaround time, because yeah. she's gotten really popular over the years. And I really do think it's maybe, I don't know if she has any employees or if it's just one person. The other thing is she does take requests. So if you have a specific collar you would like, you can request that she find the fabric for it in a certain pattern. So, yeah, if you have a desire to have a very special collar for your dog or cat, you know, or yourself, I don't Monkey. know. I'm not judging. Yeah. Um, you can go through that. The Your pet lemur. I did look because I remember the last time I ordered a collar from her, I think the turnaround time was maybe four weeks. And I don't know if it's because it's Christmas or what, but I looked on her website before recommending this and her turnaround time is 11 weeks right now, wow. which is really long. So I wanted to recommend another company that I've po- bought cute collars from and that is an etsy shop called puddle jumper pups okay i think i've looked at that which has super cute collars they always had seasonal ones they're adorable both of my dogs are wearing puddle jumper pups collars as we speak renly has like a plaid one and gracie has one that has flowers on it them they too will do different thicknesses so when i ordered a collar for renly recently i wanted a slightly thicker one so i just sent them a message and they had no problem doing that that you can get colored buckles to match your collar too which is really fun. Um, their collars are also really competitively priced. If your dogs uh, wear harnesses, you can get a harness that is in a fun pattern. You can get a matching leash. They sell those. Um, so, If you want to get a Sergeant Stubby-themed <laughs> collar, do you think that's possible? If it isn't, it should be. Do you think there's a place that makes a little coat you can put on your dog for all of their hero medals? Oh, I'm certain there, that exists. Oh, yeah, we'll have to look into that. <laughs> Lenny can wear a coat with all his food-stealing medals. <laughs> yeah. So, those Does, are my do other people's dogs try to drink their juice literally out of a glass? <laughs> a comp problem I constantly have with Lenny? That doesn't seem normal to me. <laughs> Excuse me, I'll have some of that. <laughs> Is it polar water? Because I totally understand that. No, it's literally juice. Huh? <sighs> He's such a handful. He gets everyone. a medal for that as well. He's, he is really something. 
Okay, that's all we have for you. <laughs> that's end. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're on the social medias. Perhaps it's you. You can email us your paranormal tale or your story of a hero dog. If you know anything about hallucinogenic hallucinogenic drugs you could paint on your throat to make you go crazy if you have any insight on that mystery which is just bonkers to me that is perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com you there's also a form on our website perhaps it's you.com you can find us on patreon patreon.com slash perhaps it's you a contribution there will get you bonus episodes every month oh i should say though I'm not quite sure what order everything will be listened to, that we are not doing Mac and Me for our Patreon episode. I shouldn't have spoke out of turn before realizing it's not streaming anywhere. Yeah. I'm not buying it on Amazon. That movie sucks. <laughs> Amazon wants $8 for yeah, that movie. No, That's absolutely not. That is the sort of movie they used to show when the baseball game was rained <laughs> out and they didn't know what to put on. We're not paying real money no. to watch Mac and Me. That's not happening ever. You'll I probably- sort of wanted to watch it just to give Mac a hard time. <laughs> because, guess what? Growing up as a kid and your name being Mac and there being a stupid alien movie with an ugly little alien named Mac wasn't real fun for him. <laughs> anyway. Oh, too bad for Mac. So <sighs> you're not doing this that. episode before our Patreon episode comes out for sure. And, and I'm sorry if you wanted to be Mac and me. That's not happening. It's not just happening. Deal with it. Do you want to tell them what we are doing? Yeah, we're going to do, by my insistence pilot episode of dexter i'm very excited which i've never watched dexter liz loves so, that show so it I, should be fun i'm gonna have a lot of thoughts and feelings good be prepared for be that. prepared <laughs> another programming note is the week of christmas we will have a an episode out but it won't be unsolved mysteries oh yeah we're doing a little holiday special yeah we're doing a little holiday special and you'll so you will have content i think the week after that though we're taking off yeah we're gonna so, take off a week to do nothing and yeah. we've earned it and you're welcome. <laughs> you're, you're welcome that we're, they're not going to yeah. be an episode. Sure. You're welcome. We've given you so much great, amazing content. Like hero dog stories. I'm thankful for us, too. So that's just a programming update. Patrons will, of course, get their Patreon episode yeah, you'll in get the month of December. Babble about Dexter. Don't worry. So that's all we have. Yep. Yeah, I think that's everything. Oh, give us a five star review on apple on podcast because you know we deserve it and we only can you accept- review on spotify i literally never use that platform i have no idea if you can throw us five stars sure review us on all things that take reviews Always. i don't know yeah okay okay bye, bye. solve mysteries be a bitch do 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 <laughs> <laughs>